Just as Truman was carefully managed and hemmed in on all sides by a carefully scripted view of the world, so you and I were carefully managed by our governments and by some so-called experts who assured us of many things that seemed to fit together into a seamless narrative, but that turned out to be no more solid than the fake sky that Truman looked up to every day. Welcome to Thunder Off Script, a podcast for lovers of freedom. It's Thursday, 25th of August, 2022. Today I'd like to reflect on an odd feeling I've had for a long time, that I think many other careful and honest observers of recent events have also experienced. Before I go on, don't forget that you can find all of my podcasts and blog posts at davidthunder.substack.com. Consider supporting my work in defense of a free and open society by signing up for a free or paid subscription. So let me try to articulate the odd feeling I've had for the past two and a half years. Put simply, I feel like I've been inhabiting two different worlds. A world of make-believe, on the one hand, in which some portion of reality is twisted into something it is not producing a fantasy world propped up by an army of so-called fact-checkers, and a world of complexity and nuance on the other, in which the officially sanctioned fictions and half-truths about the COVID pandemic quickly collapse under the weight of rational scrutiny. For two and a half years, I've had one foot in the world of make-belief and pseudoscience, fed to me by Google, LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, BBC, RTE, CNN and the New York Times, and another in the world of serious scientific and rational inquiry, a world I have thankfully been able to access by paying attention to the rays of light that pierce through the garbage from honest scientists and journalists. Don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that this sensation is completely new to me. I'm more or less accustomed to journalists selling me the party line or pushing this or that fabrication of reality upon me. We have all witnessed the collapse of objective journalism and the progressive erosion of journalistic ethics over the past decade, and possibly a good bit longer. But the world of post-truth journalism and governance seemed to become even more hideous and shameless in 2020-22 than I had ever dared to suspect before. Now, before unveiling the COVID theatre that took place over the course of the pandemic, let me clarify something. Yes, there is incontrovertible evidence that COVID was a novel coronavirus that posed a real threat to public health and required a robust response. But the nature of this threat and the evidence for the efficacy of different responses, were distorted beyond recognition. Without wanting to beat a dead horse, I think it's worth undertaking a brief review of some of the claims that were pushed on a largely unsuspecting public over the course of the pandemic. 
claims which were not grounded in solid evidence at the time they were made, were not supported by evidence subsequently, and happened to line up with a politically useful narrative, a narrative that was, in many ways, disconnected from reality. First, it was suddenly claimed by leading public health gurus, such as Anthony Fauci, that the scientific evidence supported community masking and that this was an important instrument of disease control. These same authorities had recognised just a few months prior to this that the evidence for masking in the community was weak and thus had recommended against it. The decision to not only recommend but mandate community masking was only ever supported by weak and inconclusive evidence. This is confirmed by a host of meta-studies of this topic, including meta-studies carried out by the World Health Organization, Cochrane, and Oxford's Centre for Evidence-Based Medicine. Second, established pandemic guidelines, which involved identifying and voluntarily isolating symptomatic cases of disease, developing relevant treatment protocols, and advising the public how to minimise the spread of the disease in question on a voluntary basis, were basically tossed in the bin and replaced by an unprecedented lockdown experiment that broke with pandemic protocols and put millions of people's livelihood and physical and mental health in danger with no solid scientific evidence to support the notion that the benefits would outweigh the costs. Some prominent infectious disease specialists, such as Professor John Ioannidis of Stanford, admitted that they had gone badly wrong in initially supporting lockdown measures. But most politicians, public health leaders and mainstream journalists, even today, continue to cling to the fiction that lockdowns were a scientifically solid and effective response to infectious disease refusing to admit the long-range harms of lockdowns on education, health and economic prosperity, even after the evidence of such harms became patent, including an increasing toll of non-COVID excess deaths in many lockdown countries, soaring rates of domestic abuse and an uncharacteristic explosion of mental health problems. Third, Governments that refused to apply lockdowns, such as Florida's and Sweden's, were vilified across the Western world as recklessly endangering their citizens. Yet their more soft-touch response to the pandemic proved more effective in the long run, with deaths and hospitalizations in Florida under the national average and no higher than California's, where strict lockdowns were implemented and deaths and hospitalizations in Sweden among the lowest in Europe. Most people who vilified these governments are now strangely quiet about them, because they know that these governments' policies proved that lockdowns were unnecessary and counterproductive. Fourth, we were assured early on in the vaccine rollout by people like Dr. Anthony Fauci and Dr. Rochelle Walensky, head of the CDC, that the vaccines would stop infections. The vaccine trials did not prove this, and it was simply too soon to say such things with confidence. These repeated reassurances, 
were contradicted by test data in numerous countries which showed that vaccinated individuals were getting infected at a rate comparable to or possibly even higher than unvaccinated individuals. Fifth, we have been told by the FDA, based on very shaky and uncorroborated data, that children as young as six months urgently needed to get a COVID vaccine under emergency use authorization. In spite of the fact that children under 12 are among the cohorts least at risk from COVID-19. Sixth, public authorities needed a scapegoat for their own unsuccessful efforts to mitigate the pandemic. So they blamed the unvaccinated. The unvaccinated were vilified in the media and by politicians like Biden, Macron and Trudeau for not doing their part to stop the pandemic. But the evidence showed that many segments of the population, including children and healthy young adults, were actually at very low risk from COVID. Vaccines were pretty useless at blocking infections, and prior infection provided equal or superior protection to that of the vaccines. So the vilification and coercion of the unvaccinated was built on false claims about vaccine efficacy. Even the CDC, which initially supported vaccine discrimination, has backtracked now after seeing how useless the vaccines are at blocking infections and how effective prior infection is at conferring immunity. Seventh, for some reason, any forthright discussion of the limitations and possible risks of the COVID vaccines was widely censored by the likes of Twitter, LinkedIn and Facebook. People who came forward with adverse reactions were attacked as anti-vaxxers. Facebook groups for those suffering from adverse effects were shut down and people who presented evidence that the original Pfizer trials were insufficient to justify a mass vaccination campaign during a pandemic, such as Dr. Robert Malone, were treated as renegades or crazies. Gradually, the existence of adverse reactions, such as heart inflammation, became so evident that it had to be admitted officially. Meanwhile, so-called fact-checkers did all they could to downplay any potential risks associated with the vaccines and assure the public that, of course, the vaccines were completely safe. Eighth, COVID test results were shamelessly abused for propaganda purposes. We were warned by test experts early on to treat COVID test results unsupported by clinical symptoms with a healthy dose of suspicion. We were warned early on that a positive test result was consistent with having been exposed to the virus, but not ever developing disease, or having been exposed to the disease up to three months before the test was taken. It was well known that the majority of so-called cases involved mild or no symptoms at all. And we knew that once someone was exposed to the disease, they were likely to build some immunity to it. Yet all of these facts were largely swept aside in an effort to sensationalise test results and report them as indicators of a serious collective threat, with no reference whatsoever to actual symptoms or actual levels of hospitalisation. Of course, occasionally journalists were very careful in how they reported PCR test results, but most of the time they just went for high-impact, sensational headlines that stirred up fear and confusion in the public mind. Ninth, almost any potential rival therapeutics to the COVID vaccine 
including safe repurposed drugs with some promising results, were systematically maligned and suppressed by social media and public health authorities to an extraordinary degree. The very notion that a doctor might responsibly use a repurposed drug to treat COVID, or that a safe repurposed drug might be administered under the logic of emergency use, was anathema to the officially sanctioned COVID narrative. While emergency use authorization was being granted by the FDA for COVID vaccines in the case of six-month-old infants who were not facing a COVID emergency by any stretch of the imagination. The fantasy world that was carefully constructed out of these false or at best misleading claims was projected into everyone's home by CNN, BBC, RTE, The Irish Times, The New York Times, etc. on a daily basis. It was a world held together by constant government propaganda, constant big pharma propaganda, and constant silencing of serious critics, including myself. I often felt a lot like the protagonist of The Truman Show. Indeed, I think many of us did. The basic premise of The Truman Show, a 1998 sci-fi drama, is essentially that a baby boy is born into a 24-7 reality show of which he is the unwitting star from his infancy through to his childhood, adolescence and adulthood. An elaborate cast of characters fills the fake world of Truman Burbank, while an army of employees builds and maintains the sets, workplaces, shops, streets, indeed the very sky and sea that are to become Truman's reality. Truman seems happy and content in this meticulously choreographed world, until he begins to suspect that something is not quite right. Certain characters wander onto the set or break rank with the producers to warn Truman that things are not as they seem, that he is literally living in a make-believe world designed by people who stand to gain enormously from keeping Truman in the dark. In one dramatic scene, one of Truman's old flames, is physically dragged offset after she attempts to warn Truman that he is the object of an elaborate deception. So what has any of this got to do with the events of 2020 to 2022? If, like me, you were curious enough to attempt to corroborate the official information about the pandemic that was flowing into our living rooms on a daily basis through our television sets, or through the Twitter accounts of influential public health gurus, you probably found yourself confronted with two very different worlds. A world of carefully choreographed black and white narratives on the one hand, in which COVID was the only threat that mattered, and vaccines were a miracle cure for everyone, and a world of nuance, mixed evidence and ambiguity which taught us that COVID was only one of many potential threats to humanity and vaccines were, at best, one of many important dimensions of an effective response to the pandemic. Just as Truman was carefully managed and hemmed in on all sides by a carefully scripted view of the world, so you and I were carefully managed by our governments and by some so-called experts who assured us of many things that seemed to fit together into a seamless narrative, but that turned out to be no more solid than the fake sky that Truman looked up to every day. Why we were given so many false assurances, and why so many opinion leaders were so eager to go along with the theatre, 
is a question worth pondering. I don't have a complete answer to this question, but I do believe the COVID theatre had a lot to do with the convergent interests of powerful actors. Once governments got on the lockdown bandwagon, it was extremely difficult to get off it, much like a bad addiction. And from a PR perspective, openly admitting they had committed one of the greatest public health errors in modern history would have been career suicide. A multi-billion dollar pharmaceutical industry, one I might add that has a notorious history of fraud, had a huge economic stake in getting its vaccines into as many arms as possible and in ensuring that safe repurposed drugs were discredited. Governments that had sold the vaccine as a miracle cure for the pandemic had an interest in minimising the impact and visibility of vaccine harms and playing up vaccine benefits. Once public health officials had bought into universal masking, running ahead of the scientific evidence, they had strong incentives to dig in and double down to save face, rather than making yet another U-turn and admitting that masks just don't work. What about the WHO's zealous support for vaccines and general downplaying of alternative strategies such as repurposed drugs? Well, their largest donor, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, has a huge stake in the vaccine rollout and has invested hundreds of millions of dollars in the vaccine industry. Any reasonable person could see that this produces a massive conflict of interest for the WHO as the premier international public health advisory body. Thanks for listening. Stay tuned for our next episode. And don't forget that you can find me at davidthunder.substack.com.